Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. The Mass Casualty Commission is on a break now until March 28th when they will return with evidence from police officers and more foundational documents. So while there's this break, I thought I'd take a look at something that has uh, really not been covered yet by the Mass Casualty Commission and that is the question of how and when the Commission will address questions of motive. Now the question of motive has, has not been interwoven with the attempts at factual narratives that we've heard so far through the foundational documents that have been presented by the Commission. Now not having any discussion of motive can in a way detract from the overall narrative of uh, the mass casualty events and can make it seem like we're we're really only getting part of the story from the Commission as they're outlining uh, their findings in these foundational documents. And we know that in many cases there was some connection between the killer and his victims, and connections that seem to align with theories on possible individual motives that he may have had with respect to each of them, or at least some of them. And the Commission has made a deliberate choice to separate what happened from why uh, those things happened. And this separation, I'd say, serves a legitimate purpose at this time. Uh, you know, in the initial stages of the Commission, it allows us to focus uh, in isolation on the narrower issue of the police response uh, to the active shooter situation. And in a way, keeping that narrow focus allows us to have some I call imaginative access to what we think a reasonable police response might be. Now that's a response either from an individual officer's perspective or from the force uh, more broadly. Now, the less we know about the killer, his motives, his background, all of those things puts us more easily in the mindset of a police officer confronting that situation on, uh, on the Saturday night when it, when it started. Questions of motive really are, are not very relevant in that scenario unless there's some very specific thing about or, or clear and obvious thing about the killer's motives that may help predict what they might do next that can help in the active shooter situation. Um, but otherwise I'd say generally we need to expect and our police need to be trained to be ready to confront an active shooter where very little is known about the individual. So. I understand why the Commission has made this decision to separate what happened from why it happened. Uh, so that's why I'd say motive hasn't been discussed yet. Uh, so in the first sense it's not terribly important and certainly of course there's no, you know, no, no sense of any justification for any of this stuff through motive so uh, the, the discussion would be a little bit premature. But in another sense as we go as we go forward in the Commission motive is going to be very important and a discussion of the motives of uh, the mass casualty perpetrator uh, can uh, you know at this point I think can serve as a useful reminder of the other policing issue that the mass casualty Commission is going to confront and that is the issue of police intelligence now uh, we know from the the structure that has been laid out from the Commission that motive and these uh, what motive is going to be discussed in phase two when the commission deals with what they call uh, 
they intend to explore other issues, explore related issues. And the ordering councils, uh, orders and council from the provincial and federal government cover all of the different aspects that the commission is supposed to uh, review and among them are uh, communications between and within agencies and services such as the RCMP, municipal police forces, uh, Canadian Border Services, the Criminal Intelligence Service of Nova Scotia, the Canadian Firearms Program, and the Alert Ready System, which is the Emergency Alert System we talked about before. In my view, when I look through those, of course the Canadian Border uh, Services are going to be relevant to this, but I think the agency at the center of that discussion is going to be the Criminal Intelligence Service. This is uh, not a really well-known uh, aspect of policing, uh, I wouldn't say, uh, but it is something that was uh, unveiled in Nova Scotia um, some maybe 15 years ago, maybe a little more than that, and uh, is across the country as well. And it's, uh, it's designed to deal with uh, you know, um, organized crime and to coordinate information flow between and among uh, other police services. So that'll be a, a question as to uh, what they've done. Now we know that the, the killer has been described as a grievance collector and that many motives have been speculated for uh, some of the various individuals involved in the mass shooting. You know there were some past romantic relationships, uh, there were some house and estate disagreements which seemed fairly unreasonable, but they were there. There were some personal slights, again, perhaps unreasonable, but uh, but there. And some alleged uh, organized crime connections. Now, um, the like I say, of course, nothing makes anything uh, a justification for murder, but examining these motives and the potential police awareness of them uh, may give us a sense of the predictability of such criminal activity in Nova Scotia and allow the Commission to make recommendations on any changes or improvements that might be made in that area. Um, you know, like we've heard the, the, the killer could be unpredictably violent, especially when he was drinking, uh, some held irrational grievances and was had an antisocial and violent upbringing. So if you take that kind of personality and you add guns, unlicensed firearms in many cases, uh, and a, a negative life shock of some kind, and things can become very dangerous. So the question that the Commission is going to have to confront is how much of this personal information uh, could or should uh, be known to police intelligence? You know, there's, uh, there's privacy issues at play, of course, with anybody's information. There's uh, sort of philosophical thoughts of what the state should know about each individual that uh, you know the commission will have to, to, to you know, grapple with these questions and you know it's uh, these are very difficult uh, questions but when it comes up I, I hope that the uh, Mass Casualty Commission can receive uh, full cooperation from the RCMP as they're asking these questions um, you know particularly if there's any connection to organized crime identified that is relevant, uh, the Commission should examine the extent to which any law enforcement was or should have been aware of Wartman as a criminal entity. Um, so 
we've, we have some sense of this from the uh, search warrant documents, which are slowly working their way through uh, court, and some, some of them have been unveiled, uh, some information. So, for example, uh, we know that the RCMP claimed that there were ongoing investigations in, uh, re involving possible co-conspirators after the killings. Uh, they were doing ongoing investigations, and that was one of the justifications for not releasing all of the information from the ITOs. Uh, we know that uh, information has come up that in 2013, the RCMP had been warned of uh, Gabriel Wortman's history of domestic violence, his uh, possession uh, of unlicensed firearms, uh, and these were from very credible sources. Uh, and prior to that, the Criminal Intelligence Service in 2011 uh, received uh, information, uh, an officer safety bulletin, uh, regarding Wartman, saying that he was in a mental health crisis at the time, that he had guns, and that he wanted to kill police officers. So, there's lots there. Uh, and in addition to all that, of course, we have the information that he was, uh, seems to have been a known weapons and drug smuggler who uh, crossed the U.S. border many times uh, regularly over the course of, uh, you know, some years. He had connections uh, through some friends with criminal organizations, had uh, connections with prison guards, uh, was unusually rich for a denturist, and had purchased police articles online, and you know had nothing yet on his record um, other than a speeding ticket. So if the RCMP knew of uh, Wartman in this sense, they must disclose it so that it can be examined, because these Theories are circulating about, you know, possible connections, and they haven't been credibly refuted. You know, was had, you know, had Wartman uh, was he newly identified as a smuggler to the police, and you know, knew somehow that, you know, he was uh, things were closing in on him, or had he been uh, working with uh, some, you know, organized crime and had been outed as uh, an informant of some sort. So. These are the theories that are out there. Like I said, they have not been, in my mind, credibly refuted by the police, so I think we need to uh, hear from them and have that information. And if the police and if the RCMP and the Criminal Intelligence Service did not know about them, well, then we need to look at that and wonder, you know, the, at the structure of our policing and ask why somebody with that personality matrix was not better known. So, those questions will come up. How much and what forms of police intelligence are currently uh, taking place in Nova Scotia? Uh, this is a big question for the uh, Commission and uh, certainly, you know, potentially a, a failing of the police if they knew some of these things or should have known or should have somebody should have connected the dots, you know, what is going on in uh, the Criminal Intelligence Service. So uh, that'll take place in phase two. Uh, we still have a little bit of time before we get there, but I thought it would be important for people to have that in their mind as they're thinking, you know, people may be just rejoining the, the story of the Mass Casualty Commission and thinking, well, the only issue is the police response to the Mass Casualty, and there's lots of issues there, and, and uh, you know, but also a difficult situation to confront and lots of room for error, uh, reasonably so. But this other element, the Criminal Intelligence Service and the uh, information that was or should have been known, is certainly going to come up in Phase 2, and when that happens, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. 
Another issue that's going to come up, and I'll talk about this perhaps more uh, is uh, at a later time, is the extent to which that discussion or any of that information is going to be made in a public forum, or if the RCMP is going to uh, fight that and have that, or, or, or seek to have that, uh, done through in-camera proceedings through the Mass Casualty Commission. There is precedent for that. There's been national security issues that come up in the Mehar Arar and the Air India uh, inquiries, so that wouldn't be terribly unreasonable as a request. I wouldn't be surprised if the RCMP makes that request given their um, approach to the RCMP, to the uh, information to obtain search warrant documents, which they've been very reluctant, uh, unreasonably reluctant to allow exposed to the public. So that's something to watch. Uh, I thought it might be an interesting thing to think about during this little break in the proceedings as we wait for the March 28th return, at which time we'll have, we'll be hearing from the first uh, police officers that went into uh, Portapique Beach Road that night, and we'll be hearing further uh, foundational documents from the uh, Wentworth area and the continuation of the narrative in that sense. So, uh, all right, thank you for watching thank you for listening hope you found this interesting if you did please uh, like subscribe uh, share this with a friend and uh, that way we'll we'll grow this um, grow this uh, ability to provide you legal analysis of the mass casualty commission so thank you again and we will see you next time